Okay, we're going to start this morning um, with pastoral prayer. We've been doing that for a little while. And um, Bert asked me to do the pastoral prayer this morning and to pray for the situation in Ukraine because he knows that I'm going to cry just like I did at the first service. Some of you know that I spent some time in um, Kiev, Ukraine about 20 years ago on a mission trip. Got to know some people there and um, connected still a little bit with some pastors in a church called Almaz. It's just a wonderful church and um, led by Ukrainian pastors in downtown Kiev. So let's, um, let's lift up that situation there. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, as we look around our world today, there often, there's often so much to grieve about. And today our hearts are heavy as we see warfare and violence in the country of Ukraine. Our hearts are grieved for the people there, for the families that, um, for the families that are hunkered down in subways while bombs are, are bursting overhead. Lord, we pray that you would, you would move in this earth, in, in this world, Lord, that we have messed up so badly. We have broken with bloodshed and with violence. Lord, would you bring your peace? Would you bring comfort to the brokenhearted? to those who have lost much. Would you overturn warfare and bring your peace, Lord, upon this earth? Would your kingdom come? We pray specifically for uh, my, my friends, Pastor Kolya, Pastor Sasha, and Almaz Church. Lord, as um, uh, reading their posts here the last few days, they're just constantly um, caring for their flock providing wisdom as people try to decide whether to flee the country or not, as they're um, speaking with the children and caring for them in their fear and grief. Give them strength, Lord. And we pray that the church in Ukraine, Lord, your, your body there would be strengthened through this season of suffering. I'm hearing wonderful stories of their faithfulness, that the pastors are encouraged because their flocks are faithful to you and trusting in you in the midst of a really hard and painful thing. We thank you for that, Lord, that you are upholding them by your strong right hand. Lord, would you give them strength, help them to walk in faithfulness to you and in bold witness, Lord. May the strength, the church be strengthened and many come to faith in you regardless of what political situation emerges. Lord, we trust in you even when the world is upside down. You are in control and your kingdom will come. Amen. Thank you for praying with me. Um, and there's a kind of a general ask going around um, from some of the Christian ministries that are in Ukraine to pray. Maybe you could put a reminder in your phone for between 7 and 9 p.m. is when the missile attacks are generally happening and the bombings um, against some of the city centers. So if you could just be praying for uh, safety for them, that would mean a lot to me. Okay, boy. So... Um, Again, as with the first service, a bit of a whipsaw of emotion for me. Uh, you, you might see the trough up here. We had, we had two baptisms this morning. We got to share in that just wonderful uh, picture of, of new spiritual life. Uh, it was just a wonderful, wonderful time hearing their stories. And we're going to talk about spiritual life here today together. We're, we're in John chapter 15. We're going to get to that text here in a little bit. 
Um, oh, I should introduce myself. So, so besides crying in front of you and um, knowing that I, I've been to Ukraine before, um, my name is Scott Davis. I'm one of the pastors. Um, and a fun fact about me that I've, that I've learned here, I'll share with you, is that climbing up and more importantly down from Dragon's Tooth, you know that mountain up near Roanoke, uh, climbing down is, is uh, it feels different than it did 20 years ago. <laughs> and my knees are really stiff and sore. So thankfully, you don't need your knees very much to preach. So, you know, not a problem. But uh, yesterday, a bunch of dads and boys, we went, we went and climbed. My, my oldest son, Josiah, he turned 13. This was his birthday party, was uh, going up Dragon's Tooth. So um, that's, that's, it, was a lot, it was a really fun time. And being up there, being outside, it was a little bit cool. But just the hope of springtime, you know, being outside in these new days, that's why I have my, I have my spring jacket on. It makes me, I know that, I know that it's still February, but uh, I just have to look forward to, you know, pretty soon now, um, some buds coming out on the trees. So it's an honor and joy, an honor and a joy to bring the word of God to you. And, um, you know, speaking of life and, and even in new life, like the baptisms this morning, we all, we all want more than just getting by in life, don't we? We want something more than just like, I don't know, day after day after day of life. We want aliveness in our souls. We want energy and purpose. We want meaning, meaningful lives and deep connections. But we tend to seek satisfaction in a lot of other things, don't we, that don't really provide what we really want. Isn't that true? We tend to seek life and comfort, avoiding hard things. We seek it in pleasure, like just one more cookie, one more pleasurable experience to try to get life. We seek it through trying to build our own self-esteem and like have our like best life now kind of mindset. We seek, we seek life from others from an affirmation, trying to get them to, aff- to affirm our like authentic self, whatever that is. You know, a self that scripture says is in rebellion against our creator. But those things ultimately, they don't satisfy. They don't really bring the life. We go to them for life and they just let us down. And some of those actually lead to spiritual death. Here's our question for today. Where are you seeking life? Like, where have you been seeking life recently? Last few days, last month, last year. Where are you seeking life? In his book on prayer, author Larry Crabb talks about how we can feel dead inside because we're missing something with God. Here's what he wrote. He said, the frantic pace of life coupled with a heavy sense of deadness. Actually, let me just pause there. And if you feel like a frantic pace of life, I know that I feel that sometimes, or a sense of deadness inside of your soul. The frantic pace of life, coupled with a heavy sense of deadness beneath everything you do, has left you knowing you were built for more. You're hungry. You know your hunger has more to do with knowing God better than with getting more blessings from him. You long to connect with him so closely that you hear his voice as clearly as a child lost in the woods, here's her daddy, call her name. Do you connect with, with that? Do you connect with some with that, that longing underneath of your soul for something more? Maybe for a connection with the Lord? I think that's true. I think we really long for that. I think we're really built for something more than what we usually experience. And I've experienced sometimes that richness of that connection that we can have with Christ. Scripture invites us to that. It says, come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Many of us have tasted and seen maybe just a few times in your life or maybe like, like all the time, we've tasted that the Lord really is good. He's the true source of life. And that's what we're going to see in our passage today. But where have you mainly been seeking your life this last month? 
Don't we want a deeper life? Don't we want to be fruitful for lives to have purpose and meaning and a fruitfulness? Don't we want our lives to count for something? You know, people search for purpose and meaning, right? That's something that we do. Like, man, I want to know what my life is for. I want to know, like, why am I here? People search for purpose and meaning. And I want to ask, is your relationship with Jesus bearing fruit? Is it bearing good fruit? The kind of good fruit that's more, more than human, more than just being a nice person. The kind of fruit that comes from the power of God. So our passage we're looking at today, I'm going to give you a little context for it. We've you know, been working through, our, through this passage or through the Gospel of John for like, I don't know, <laughs> about 20 weeks, I think. We're in John 15 now. And what's, what's happened right before here? Let's remember for a moment. So Jesus and the disciples, they were in the upper room, right? They celebrated the Last Supper together. A bunch of things happened there in the upper room. Um, and then um, what's going to happen next is they're going to walk out to the city and walk out to the Garden of Gethsemane to pray. And to, Jesus is going to seek the Father there. And this is where, where he's, he's betrayed and captured, right? So we're in this moment between the Last Supper and um, the Garden of Gethsemane. And Jesus uses this time to basically talk to his, his closest followers and like, here's what you need to know right now, like in this moment. Like, these are my last moments with you before my death, before crucifixion. Like, what do you need to hear? That's this week and the next two weeks, I think. What does he want them to hear? He wants them to see him as the source of life. He wants them to see that they'll stay, need to stay attached to him and to live fruitful lives to God. Let's pray real quick. Father, would you open our ears to hear? Give us ears to hear your word. Give us ears to hear what you want to say to each one of us specifically. Would you awaken longing in us for true life, for more than we've been living for? Lord, we want to see what it means to be continually connected with you, to see you as a source of life. And we want to, sh- to see how we can draw on your life to bear good fruit. Would you teach us this morning, we pray. Amen. Okay, so we will, again, we're, we are going to get to this passage in just a minute. But first, the passage uses this picture of a, of a vine, right? A vineyard. And I want to give you a little background in the scriptures for what's happening, what the disciples would have heard when, when Jesus comes, because he's going to come and say, I am the true vine. Well, why does he say he's a vine? What's, what's, what's going on there? So this is a real common picture. Um, in Israel at that time, they had a ton of vineyards. It was a big part of their agriculture was production of grapes and wine. There's actually lots of imagery that's used around vines and, and, and vineyards in scripture, and specifically what Jesus is drawing on here. I want to show you two passages that kind of help prepare us to hear this word. And the first one is in Psalm 80. Um, You can look at that later if you want, Psalm 80. And it uses this imagery of a vine to talk about what God had done in the nation of Israel, okay? So it gives this picture of, by the way, this was written like a thousand years before the time of Christ. Um, Probably around the time of David and Solomon, somewhere in there. And this psalm is a cry out to God in a time when the nation is under attack. They feel like, God, we need you to show up and rescue us. What's happening? Why are these enemies defeating us? What's happening? And the, this picture of a vine is used, the picture is of um, the vine of Israel, the nation, as a vine that God had taken out of Egypt and like transported to the promised land and planted there. And this vine had grown and its branches had spread out throughout the land and multiplied, right? The people had grown and God had multiplied and blessed the, the people into become a, uh, a big nation. But now, now the nation's under attack and it's like this vineyard that protects this vine. The walls are being broken down. It's a cry out to God. Why are you letting our walls be broken down? 
Here's verse 12. It says, why then have you broken down its walls? It's talking to the Lord. Why have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? In other words, why has God abandoned his people? And the psalm doesn't answer that question. But there's a second passage that's really parallel to that in Isaiah. It's Isaiah chapter 5. You can look at this later if you want. Uses the same imagery with God as the farmer who plants this vine in a field and he cares for it and he waters it and he fertilizes it year after year after year looking to get good fruit. Expecting this this wonderful plant, he's spent so much time cultivating it, it's going to bear good fruit, but instead it bears bad fruit. And because of that, the farmer says, oh well, I'm going to give up on this vine. I'm going to let the, the walls crumble and just let it go to ruin. And he says this in, um, when they cry out, they're just crying out of why in Isaiah 5, verse 7. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, an outcry. That's really a terrible thing to hear about your nation. Imagine if you were, were part of that nation at that time and you're under attack and the, the prophet gives this, this parable that says basically, like, this, this plant is not bearing good fruit and God's going to allow destruction to come upon it. That's, that's kind of horrible. They had a problem, right? There, there was a new vine that was needed. Um, and, and Israel was the best vine, Right? God had chosen this, this family from among the nations to become a nation, to bring forth the praises of God and to, to teach the other nations about God. And some of that had happened. And God had watered and fertilized and tended carefully for this vine for around 2,000 years. But it failed to consistently bear good fruit. And ultimately, it couldn't because it was a human vine, right? A human nation with all of our weakness, with all of our sin that couldn't bring the right kind of fruit, the best kind of fruit that God wants to bring on the earth. And this new vine is what Jesus describes in John 15. He retells the parable, but now the vine is no longer national, the nation of Israel, but now it's Jesus Christ himself. So as I read this, I'm going to read a few verses here. As I read it, you can follow along starting at verse 1 in John chapter 15. And listen for three things. Listen for the role of Jesus. Listen for the work of the Father, and listen for for us. Where are we in this parable? I am the vine, the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself, unless it abides in the vine, neither can you, unless you abide in me. I am the vine, and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. We'll stop there for the moment. So in this passage, we're going to focus on two aspects. You know, preachers are supposed to have, have three, right? It's always like, why is it always three points? I don't really know. It's th- three is a great number, so there's always three points. I have two points. 
You're just going to have to deal with it. It's only, only, two, only two fit. I only got two. I got two points for you, and they don't even rhyme. Sorry about that. <laughs> the, uh, so two aspects. The first is we abide in the vine. We're going to talk about that, abiding in the vine, and then we bear fruit in the vine. So abide in the vine, and then bear fruit in the vine. Did you hear that word abide over and over and over again in the passage? Abide in me and I in you. Abide in me and I'll abide in you. If you abide in me, you'll bear much fruit. Abide in me and the Father will hear your prayers. And, and there are a few more abides. I didn't read the whole passage. Um, what do you think it means when you hear a word like repeated over and over like that? It means pay attention. It's important. Yeah, exactly. Right? It means pay attention. You want to, it's, like, it's kind of like drilling it into your head. Abide, abide, abide. Well, if you, if you want to have one word for today, it's abide. Um, that's, that's the word in this passage. I mean, just pay attention to that. But what does that mean? So it means to stay. It means to remain, to live, to dwell. Like you abide in your home. Your home is a place you abide, right? You, you live there. Um, you, you might go away to work, but you come back to it. This is your place, your, your, your place of residence, um, the place where most of your life is. Abide, dwell. He says, abide in me. Stay in me. Remain in me. Stay connected to me. I want to quote one of our members, Brenda Brown, who just made a, made a great statement about this. She said, abiding is the intentional pursuit of remaining in Christ. You hear that? Abiding is the intentional pursuit of remaining in Christ. I really like that. There's a couple pieces in that. There's, there's an intentionality, a purpose. Like, like we are purposing. I'm, going to, I'm with Christ. That's, that's actually what baptism means. I'm with Christ. I'm not going anywhere. Like this is a lifetime commitment. I'm with him. Intentional pursuit. And there's this like ongoing relational nature to it. Like you, you know, pursue relationship with, with your spouse or child or someone you love. This, it's an intentional pursuit of remaining in Christ. I like that. It's got some good wording there. It's not a one-time decision. It's not mere, you know, agreement. Yeah, Jesus is right. He says good things. It's not a one-time, um, yes, I want Jesus to forgive me. This is like an ongoing lifetime. I'm going to live with Christ. I'm going to be connected to him and him with me. A regular, ongoing, organic, continual, growing relationship with the vine, with Jesus, and through him, with the Father who sent him. It's a beautiful picture, really. It's beautiful. Um, and that God offers life to us through that, through Jesus, who's, uh, John said in, the, in his uh, beginning of this book, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. Well, he offers us that life, and that life comes through this connection with him. In his commentary, there's a theologian, D.A. Carson, he said that this, this um, union, this abiding with Christ, is a union that's initiated and sealed by Jesus, completed by the believer's responsive love and obedience. What, what I like in that quote is that Jesus is the one who initiates, right? He seeks us, he chooses us, he reaches out to us, he calls to us. And our response is a, re, a responsive one of love to, to agree with him, to, 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 to respond to his love towards us. That's pretty cool. We abide in him. And there's a purpose in here that Jesus says, like, why? Like, um, why is he telling us about this? Why is he telling his disciples about connecting with him? Why is he calling us to abide in him? It's in verse 11. And he says, let's see, let's find that. He says, these things I've spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. There's this joyfulness in Christ about us, about being connected with us. Like he rejoices in his body. 
He rejoices in the life that he pours out to us. You know, he rejoices in, in how he works inside of us. He shares his joy with us and wants our joy to be, to be full, to be complete. That's pretty cool. That sounds like life, right? I mean, the joy of God in me, that sounds like that's probably the kind of life that I'd like to live. And, and, and the big deal here with the, with the picture of the vine and the branches, it helps us understand, like, why do we need to abide? Let's go back to that picture a little bit. So if you take, you take a vine, a tree, whatever, you just like break off a branch. What's, what's a branch like on the ground apart from the tree or the vine it's supposed to be part of? What happens? Well, you know, it's, it's leaves, leaves wither up. It dries out. There's no sap in it. And it's not good for anything, right? All you can do is take it, collect it in a pile and put it on your bonfire. Roast some marshmallows. Like it's not any good for anything apart from the vine. Well, if it's in the vine, what happens, right? The sap rises up from the roots and comes into that branch and keeps it and gives it life. It's almost like the life isn't of that branch, but it comes into the branch and gives it life. And what happens? It grows, right? It extends in different directions and it bears beautiful fruit. That's the picture Jesus is sharing with us here. Connection with him is like that. We have to stay connected with him because life is from him. (laughs) We don't have that in ourselves. Apart from him, we're spiritually dead. But in him, we have the life of the son of God. That's really amazing. Really amazing. Remember my question from the beginning. Where are you turning for life? Because true life is only found in Jesus. And if that's true, then let's abide in him, right? Let's put our energy into seeking life from him, from the place where true life can be found, not from these worldly things we tend to seek after that just, they just leave us kind of dead inside. They don't really satisfy. But how then? Okay, Scott, that's great. I want to abide in the, in the vine. I want to like grow and bear fruit. Well, how does that even happen? So certainly there are things that for us to do as we abide in the vine. We'll talk about that lots. Lots of Sundays we'll talk about good things to do, you know, as we abide in Christ that help us to grow. But Jesus' focus in this passage isn't so much on what we do. What's, what's the thing? Did you catch the one word? What did he tell us to do here? Abide, <laughs> right? Abide, okay. He told us to abide. But the work, the work of, of cultivating the vine, of growing it, is the work of the Father. So let's look at what the Father does in us. So Jesus uses three words in this passage to describe the work that the Father does. Our translation here translates those words as to take away, right? Like taking away the dead branches. Um, pruning, right? So like kind of cutting off and trimming things to make it healthier. And cleaning. And this, is a, this actually translates a word play that Jesus makes that I like. The words are rhyme. Um, so ire, kathire, and kathiroi. Just for fun. In the Greek, they rhyme. They're very like tight, there's a tight little word play there. And uh, so for fun, I'm going to use my own translation and call it clear away, the works of the Father. Clear away, like clearing away the dead wood. Clipping, like pruning, right? And clean is clean. I didn't have to change that one. So clear away, clip, and clean, the works of the Father. So the first work of the gardener here, of the Father, is to clear away. Let's read verses 2 and 6. Verse 2, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And I'm going to skip to 6. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. I already described that picture of what we do with dead branches, right? I mean, this is kind of terrifying, isn't it? A little bit, a little bit scary. Like, he's talking about people. Like, there's, a, there's kind of a terrifying warning here of coming judgment. 
If there's a branch that has no life in it, eventually it just, it just, it just can't exist on its own. There's no life for it. It's not good for much. And there's an example. Actually, all three of these works of the Father, there's an example that happened just a little bit back, two, you know, two pages back in your Bible in chapter 13. So clearing away, this is something that happened with Judas. All right, you know the story of Judas. So Judas had walked with the disciples. He seemed to believe, but he never actually put his faith and trust in Christ. And so when he's there in the upper room and this, having, having the meal with Jesus, he decides to betray him. And Satan comes into his heart. And Jesus knows that. And he says, go do what you're going to do. And he goes away and he betrays Christ. It's a picture here of a clearing away. And that's maybe an extreme example but in the Gospels, there are many other examples, as well as in the other uh, letters of the New Testament of those who, who walked with, with um, Jesus or walked with the disciples for a time. And they were there because they liked, they liked hearing the words, they liked seeing the miracles, they liked the people they were around, but they weren't actually committed to Jesus. And when things got hard, they left, they scattered, they were cleared away. And this is a serious warning, Right? Because there are many of us, many people who grew up uh, Christian. I grew up in a, a nice Christian home. Many of you grew up in a nice Christian home too. Um, many of us who, many people who call themselves Christians who believe they're part of the vine because of their family religion. Just like in Jesus' day, many people believed they were part of the, the life-giving vine of God because they were part of ethnic national Israel. But they didn't actually have God's life in them. Is something important to see because scripture says you have to, we have to be personally connected into the vine. It's not enough that our family is or to be around Christians or to even call ourselves Christians. We need to actually draw our life from him, being in a trusting lifelong relationship with him. And if we do, we will bear good fruit. We will bear good fruit. He promises that. So that's, that can be a little scary, but, but the good news is it's not too late, right? If you're here and you're feeling like, I don't, I don't know if I'm fully in the vine or not. Well, you're here, so it's not too late. So that's awesome, right? It's not too late. Today's a great day to start to get connected in fully to the vine of Jesus, to draw life from him by placing your trust in him. If that's you, talk to someone who brought you, come talk to me, talk to someone else, um, but seek Christ. Connect yourself into the vine. So that's clearing away. That's the one work of the Father, clearing away. Second work is, is clipping, pruning. Now, I'm not, I'm not a gardener. Anyone, who's like a gardener, like likes to like green thumbs out there? I know some of you are. You're just like shy about it. I see you, Gina. Um, <laughs> so some of you like know a lot about gardening. I, I don't, but I know a little bit, right? So I know that a plant, like in my garden at home, my wife keeps a nice vegetable garden. She actually prunes them. Um, so I know I see her doing it. You know, if you don't prune a plant, it'll just, it'll just go branches every which direction. And it'll spend so much energy with all these different branches in different directions. It doesn't have enough energy left to grow good fruit. That's one reason things need to be clipped and pruned. Or sometimes a, a branch gets kind of diseased, right? It's just not a good, healthy part. It kind of needs to be clipped away because it's, it's a diseased portion. So the rest of it can be healthy and bear good fruit. And sometimes you got to like position the branches so they're in the sunlight or like put a trellis up so it's strong enough to support good fruit. That's the extent of my knowledge about plants. So <laughs> some of you know more. Um, but the Father does this in us. So if we're in Christ and connected into him, into the vine, and we're those branches, and each one of us, God will prune us at times. He'll clip us. He'll clip off parts of our life. And this is not always pleasant. Sometimes it can be. Sometimes it can be a huge relief. Like, child, you don't need to do that. Oh, oh, thank goodness. That was terrible. Other times, God cuts off things that we we like <laughs> our comforts, our pleasures, our favorite sins. 
good things that just, it's not the right season for it. Again, there's an example back in the upper room. Remember the story of Peter when um, Jesus is saying, look, I'm going to, basically he's saying, I'm going to go away and I'm going to be, I'm going to suffer and die. And Peter says, Lord, I'll go with you. I'll die with you. Jesus knows that he does not have the faith for that yet. He actually will have that faith. Eventually he'll be crucified upside down for Christ. But right now he's weak. He doesn't know it. Jesus tells him, you are going to deny me three times tonight. You're going to say you don't even know me. Peter says, no, no, there's no way I'm going to do that. Well, he does. He's devastated by it. And Christ comes back after his resurrection and meets with Peter and restores him. And he becomes this amazing faithful rock of the early church. And that was a pruning, a really painful one. Imagine what that felt like. But God used that pruning in his life for great good. It's a beautiful thing. It's just like what uh, the uh, book of Hebrews says in chapter 12. It says he disciplines his own for greater faith, fruitfulness. He says, for our own good, God disciplines us that we might share in his holiness. So some of you today might be in one of those seasons of pruning. It might be some cutting, some clipping, some trellis work happening. Um, God might be doing some pruning in your life and that might not be fun, but it, it, it's a good thing. It really is. God is faithful and he's faithful for you to become a healthy part of this plant of his. And he's faithful in wanting to bring good fruit from your life. So clearing away, clipping. The third, third category of the father here that Jesus talks about is cleaning. In verse three, it says, he says, already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. This cleaning may sound a little bit out of place. We've got kind of these very agricultural things and it's like, but, but you're already clean. Um, but remember that this is connected also to what else, what else happened? We just preached it what, one or two weeks ago um, during that last supper. Jesus washed their feet. Remember that? Remember, he, he cleaned them. He washed their feet. And this is a picture of them being part of him, of being in him. Um, and Peter says, well, if you're going to wash me, just wash all of me. <laughs> he's like, he's like totally into it. Um, Jesus says, no, the rest of you is already clean. See, Peter and the disciples are already clean by the words that they had. They, they were already abiding in Christ. Their sin, in other words, had been washed away. Jesus was washing their feet as this beautiful symbol that they did belong to him. But they already were clean. And he's saying this to us as well here in this chapter. We are already clean because of the word I've spoken to you. If you're in Christ, then you are clean. Your sins are washed away and covered by his death. I think that's a real encouragement for us, especially in this passage where we're hearing a little bit about the clearing and the clipping. Like those are a little bit hard to hear, but it's good to remember if we're abiding in Christ, then we are clean. We don't have to be afraid of being cut off from the vine. That's what I'm saying. We don't have to be afraid of that. It's a word of comfort. If your conscience is, is overly sensitive and, um, and you know that you're in Christ, but, but your conscience still makes you feel afraid that you don't belong. If you're in Christ, you are, you are clean. He's the source of life and he'll never cut you off. And not only that, but you will bear much fruit. So that sums up kind of this first big section here, uh, first big aspect, the major one here, that, that we abide in the vine, right? We abide in the vine. As we abide in the vine, the Father does the work of clearing away, of clipping, of cleaning, so that the branches will bear much fruit. So let's talk now about bearing fruit in the vine. Let's listen again to what Jesus says. And let's see, we'll read in verse four again. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. 
Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And then jumping to seven, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. What power, by what power do we bear fruit? Not by our own strength, not by just gritting our teeth and trying really hard. I can't make, you know, a nice grape cluster just like pop out of my shoulder. That's a pretty weird picture, huh? I can't just make good fruit happen. I can try to be a nice person, but the kind of like real spiritual fruit in my own life and that really impacts the world, I can't do that in my own strength. But if I abide in Christ and his word abides in me, and his sap rises through my body, his life force, right? The life of the Son of God will bear fruit, and so will you. You will bear good fruit. Apart from him, we can do nothing, but in him, we will bear good fruit. In the same way that a vine is nourished, you know, from its roots, fruitfulness in our lives comes from spiritual nutrients, through sap that rises from the roots of love in the Father, through the vine of Jesus, into our souls. And that beautiful life, that sap, <laughs> goes to the darkest, deepest places of our souls and to transform us, to make us more like Christ. And then it empowers us with our hands, with our feet, with our mouths, with our, with our treasures and our wallets to honor God and to bear good fruit to him. He says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will bear fruit. What does he mean by that? What's the deal with the words there? my words abide in you. Leads to a number of questions I want to encourage you to think about. You can write things down if you want. They're great, some great questions here to process with your small group or with a friend. First one is this. Do you make a time and a place in your life for God's words to get buried like seeds in the soil of your heart? Do you make time and place in your life for the seeds of God's word to get buried in the soil of your soul? make time for it? Is there there even room in your life for that? The second question is, is your soul a good field for for God's words where they can take good root? Is your soul fertile soil? Again, something to think about, talk about with friends. What does it mean for for your soul to be fertile to the words of God, to be ready to hear his words so that when his words come into you, you meditate on them and entrust watering them with trust and obedience that his words might grow, you know, kind of take root and grow and become a life-giving thing inside of you. And I have one more question for you. This one's a little bit of a harder, harder one to process. Okay? Ready for this? What words of God are you actively resisting right now? What words of God are you actively resisting right now? Has God been quietly pointing out something that he wants you to obey, to believe, to feel, to do? I find that, that I usually have a hard time answering that question, but occasionally I'll realize that I've been resisting God's words. And then I think back and I realize I did know that I was doing that. Maybe it wasn't fully conscious, but I really was like trying to ignore what God was telling me. Maybe we need God's spirit to reveal that to us, to even help us see where we are resisting his words. Because we want his words to come into us and again, to to take root and to bring life. And it's hard sometimes because we're afraid to believe. We can be afraid to hope, afraid that we'll be disappointed if we really trust Jesus' words. 
Sometimes we just don't want to give up a favorite comfort or pleasure. That's often the reason we don't give up our sins. We think we want to change, but we don't actually. We, we like our sin too much. Uh, sometimes we're just lazy and don't want to be bothered by the change that he's asking. Friends, let's abide in Jesus. Let's abide in him. Let's let his words abide in us. Let's make space in our hearts. Let's make our souls to be fertile soil for him. There's just a couple kinds of fruit that, that, that Jesus talks about here. I want to just mention them in passing. First one is good fruit that comes inside of our souls. I guess I've mentioned that a few times, but the transformation that happens inside of us, and that's the first good fruit. We tend to focus more on like outward fruit of like what we do with our lives, but God has a lot to say about what he wants to do in our souls, in our hidden places. Galatians 5.22 says, the fruit of the spirit, in other words, the work that the Holy Spirit does in us, the fruit of the spirit is, are these things, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. He knows them. Saw that. Good job, buddy. Mouth them along with me. These are, good, these are good fruits of God in our lives. Inward fruit that brings glory to God. They matter to him. Second is that prayer brings good fruit. Um, I don't think we usually think about prayer that way, but, but prayer, especially as we're interceding for other people, as we interceded together for Ukraine earlier, God hears our prayers he says, if we abide in him, if, if, if our souls, our hearts are aligned with him and our will is aligned with him as we pray, God changes things. He does. And that's fruit. Like we can change the world probably more through our prayer than we can through our own actions. Let's be people of prayer. Let's be challenged by that. The truth challenges me a lot. Um, being up here preaching on that today. I want to challenge you too to trust God and take him at his word and bear good fruit through prayer. A third way we bear fruit, a third kind of fruit maybe, is uh, loving obedience to God. So in this passage here, let me read this in verse 12. This is my commandment. Oh, that's the wrong one. There it is, verse uh, 9, sorry. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Well, cool. How do I abide in your love, Jesus? If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. See, it's not like just like loving feelings towards Jesus. It's not just like obeying Jesus you know, from a cold heart. It's like loving obedience. These things go together. True love for Jesus will come with obedience. If we're not obeying him, we're not loving him in that moment. He wants, he wants our hearts. He wants our whole self. One of the best ways to love him is actually by simply obeying him. So loving obedience to God is good fruit. And finally, loving others is good fruit. This is, this is in verse 12. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, as someone lay down his life for his friends. So how, how had he just shown love to them, to the disciples, right? He had taken the form of, in the position of a servant and he'd washed their feet. What kind of love was he about to show to them the next day? He was going to die for them. Like he was literally going to lay down his life right then. He says, this is what I want you to do for one another. Lay down your life for your friend. That's a beautiful Jesus-like fruit. What a beautiful thing. So what do we learn as we pull all of this together of abiding in Christ and bearing fruit? We learn that God bears some incredible fruit through us, right? Not just being a nice person. It's a lot bigger than that. Superhuman. This is the very love of God living in us and released to flow through us to others. 
It's his Holy Spirit coming and empowering us to love as he loves, to suffer as he suffers, to rejoice as he rejoices, to do and participate in the very works of God the Father in this world. No wonder that he says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Like, the things I want to do from you are way too big for you, but I want to do them through you. Isn't that exciting? So imagine this with me. What does it feel like to bear good fruit? Have you experienced that? Is there a hopeful expectation in you that, that you know, our lives won't be barren, there won't be a waste, but that a great, good, and be- beautiful thing will grow within us and through us? A hopeful expectation. Is there, is there joy when we experience a fruit growing in us? Well, there's this poet who I really like. Uh, he's, he's an awesome poet called Malcolm Gite. Um, he wrote a poem on this chapter, on John 15, a sonnet, where he imagines what a branch in the vine feels like, as it f- just kind of the joy of a branch as it grows and bears a good fruit. And so Katie Johnson is going to come up and read that for us. I am the vine. How might it feel to be a part of the vine? Not just to see the vineyard from afar, or even pluck the clusters, press the wine, but to be grafted in, to feel the stir of inward sap that rises from our root, himself deep planted in the ground of love, to feel a leaf unfold a tender shoot as tendrils curled unfurl, as branches give a little to the swelling of the grape in gradual perfection, round and full, to bear within oneself the joy and hope of God's good vintage till it's ripe and whole. What might it mean to abide and to abide? in such rich love as makes the poor heart glad. Thanks, Katie. That was perfect. What a beautiful thought to think about what it, what it, would, what it would feel like as God comes and works life in us, as he transforms our souls, as he changes even our desires and motivations to be like his, as his Words plant themselves in our soul and grow, and beautiful things come from our life. What would that feel like? Man, to bear within oneself the joy and hope of God's good vintage till it's ripe and whole. Maybe some of you connect easily with that, but I think for some of us it's hard to, to, to see the fruit in our lives. And we can feel discouraged, like, am I, am I even bearing good fruit? And sometimes there is something that hinders fruit from growing. Sometimes pruning is needed, like we've talked about. But sometimes it's just hard to see because of how God works different fruits in our lives. But I've seen a few examples here in our congregation I want to share with you of different, different um, phases of life and the kinds of fruit that I've seen in some lives. I've seen in the retired person uh, who's fruitful in prayer for children and grandchildren who's faithfully praying for the church and for those in need, enjoying communion with the Lord and encouraging younger believers. The single woman, the single man in our congregation, I've seen you fruitful in time and how you 
pour yourself out in relationships, caring for the outcast, for the fringe, being fruitful in time with intimacy with the Lord, fruitful in single-minded ministry like the Apostle Paul who longed that others would be single like him for the Lord, content with what the Lord has provided, meeting needs in the community through vocation and volunteering. Teenagers, I've seen fruitful in loving your friends and standing by them, being fruitful in obedience to the Lord, not running after foolish things of the world, and the fruit of self-control, taming difficult emotions. Children, I've seen fruitful in obedience to your parents, being transformed to seek the good of others instead of just your own desires. Reading a book to a younger sibling, obeying your mom and helping her without being asked. Speaking of moms, that mom of young children, beautiful fruitfulness of childbearing, but life can seem to get very small. I see these busy moms fruitful in love, laying down your life for your little ones and persevering to seek the Lord in devotions, even when that devotion time is scattered across 20 little moments throughout the day. I see you busy fathers who are faithful in a deep responsibility for your children, your wives, your friends, your work, fruitfully working as unto the Lord in whatever vocation God has called you to. I see families that are fruitful in generosity, financially helping others and also inviting others into their home for wisdom and, and, and joy and sharing of family life. And of course, the fruit of faithfulness between couples in this exceedingly unfaithful age. These are just a few examples, right? Just a few examples of some of the kinds of fruit that God bears in our lives. Some of the things I've seen in many of you the point is that God grows all different kinds of fruit in different people through different stages of life. And all of these fruits are beautiful to the Lord. So coming back now to our original question, right? Where are you seeking life today? Where will you find life? That life is, that true life is found in that vital connection with Jesus. And that connection will result. It will abound in spiritual fruit. He, we have this invitation. He says, come, come abide in me. And if you'll abide in me, I'll abide in you, and you will bear much fruit. This fruit is so joyful and so wonderful. We waste a lot of time trying to bear our own fruit for God when he just says, come, abide. What is our part? Our part is to abide in him. That is to surrender fully to him. To love him by obeying his commandments, to hold blessings loosely, not with like clenched fists. Our part is to rejoice in suffering. Our part is to hope in the Lord instead of trusting in our own treasure and ability and power. Our part is to let him redefine us as his children, to remake us in his image instead of holding on to who we are today or who we think we are. Our part is abiding in him in dependent trust. So then how might it feel for the father to pour the life of Jesus out in your soul and through you to this world? I'm going to close with a quote. This is from Letty Cowman in her book. She has this devotional called um, Streams in the Desert. Here's what she wrote. She said, the greatest thing that any of us can do is not to live for Christ, but to live Christ. What is holy living? It is Christ life. It is not to be Christians, but to be Christ ones. It is not to try to do or be some great thing, but simply to have him and to let him live his own life through us. 
abiding in him and he in us, letting him reflect his own graces, his own faith, his own consecration, his own love, his own patience, his own gentleness, his own words in us. Isn't that a life worth finding? Let's pray. Dear God, we confess that we have sought life in many things other than you, but we have not found life there. Life is truly found only in you, Jesus. We want that true life, not not these false substitutes and imposters. We want true spiritual life. Would you awaken that longing in us? Would you help us to seek you? Would you help us to abide in you? Would you attach us permanently to your vine where we can draw life because we need it and we know we're dead without you? God, we long to bear your good fruit. We long for a fruitfulness, a meaning, and a purpose in our life that's bigger than us. It's greater than anything we could do. We long for our souls to be transformed, to express your image, and our lives to matter in this world. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.